Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. It's Friday morning. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, your internet brain surgeon and writer and podcaster. I hope you're ready for an exciting day wherever you are and whatever you're doing. And I've got Friday Conversation. One of my favorite interviews that I've ever done on the podcast was back in October of 2021. My friend, Dr. Michael Gillen, who is a PhD astrophysicist of all things. He studied under Carl Sagan at Cornell. He, You probably have seen him or heard his voice outside of this podcast before because he's an Emmy award-winning producer and TV personality. He was ABC News's science uh, reporter for years. He's reported from the bottom of the ocean. He's reported a lot of amazing science stories and for generation people all over the world knew him as the science guy for ABC. He had a show on the History Channel. He's now he's got a podcast. He's written several amazing books and he was on the show to talk about his new book, newest book, Believing is Seeing. This is a life-changing book, especially if you're a person who has doubt wrapped up around the idea of whether science and faith can really coexist with one another. And Michael and I hit it off really well and became friends. We're actually going to meet in real life here pretty soon, and I'm excited about that. And this is a great conversation I think you'll enjoy here for Friday Conversations. And I want you to just just relax and spend 45 minutes or so with uh, one of the world's leading minds and let him tell you why believing is seeing. And he'll tell you, you need to start today. But Friday, I had the amazing opportunity to speak with a person that I'm just incredibly excited to introduce you to today. You know, a lot of times when I do interviews on the show of people that I haven't known before, um, the first part is a little bit um, like a like a tennis match, just a little back and forth and trying to get comfortable with each other. And it's always a little awkward when you're first having a conversation. But this this guy, right from the moment we started talking, we were kindred spirits. It felt like a brother that I hadn't seen in a long time. Uh, Michael Gillen is a PhD physicist. He trained at Cornell under Carl Sagan and some of the, the world's most famous uh, quantum physicists and cosmologists. He's a legit world-class PhD scientist who was an atheist and ended up getting into media and doing science reporting. You've probably seen him on ABC News or you've probably seen his face or heard his voice before. He's been around the world of science reporting for many years. But along the journey, he met a girl. She asked him to read the Bible and lo and behold, um, the Lord gently ministered to him in the fact that he was a scientist and helped him see that the deep things of science actually support faith in Jesus Christ. This is an amazing conversation from Michael Gillen about a new book that he's written called Believing is Seeing. Tyndale put this out and it's a wonderful book. Believing is Seeing, a physicist explains how science shattered his atheism and revealed the necessity of faith. This is a great book, I'm telling you. Really encouraged me, lifted me up as a scientist. This points towards how science and faith don't have to fight with one another. They don't have to argue. They actually support each other. And you can have real valid reasons for the hope in Christ that you have that are that are actually validated and strengthened and bolstered by modern science. And I just I want to encourage you to understand that believing really is seeing. And as always, I want you to start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. I ask Michael to pray before we get started. Mike, let's pray. Well, Lord Almighty, we just come to you uh, with hearts filled with gratitude for the technology that makes this conversation possible, and we pray that uh, whoever is uh, able to hear this, will be blessed by what we have to say and that 
you be glorified by our words and deeds, Lord. And just thank you for this opportunity to speak to Lee and about matters that are extremely important to all of us, Lord, in this fallen and struggling world. And we just pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Michael Gillen, uh, welcome to the show. Lee, thank you so much for having me on. I am really, really looking forward to this. Uh, Thank you for inviting me, my brother. Uh, Amen. So I know a lot of our listeners will have seen you on television and and you, of course, were ABC News and PBS and, and all over the place. Um, and, and most of us knew you as a journalist before we knew your cred- you know, credibility as a scientist. So um, I think it'll be fun to c- cover some of your story. Um, I've just read your beautiful new book, Believing is Seeing. And your remarkable job, by the way, with the book. Thank you for writing it. Oh, you're welcome, Lily. And yeah, it's been quite a journey, not one that I ever anticipated. Uh, I was born in the middle of the Mexican barrio in East Los Angeles, the real deal, uh, not like Cheech and Chong, although I think Cheech and Chong, (laughs) I think at least one of them really was born in East LA. I can't remember, but I'm definitely the real deal. (laughs) And uh, so, you know, I, uh, I never met a scientist in my life. Um, You know, there are not a lot of scientists walking the sidewalks of East Los Angeles and no, right. And, and nobody in my family uh, ever had anything to do with science. Most of them, frankly, didn't get past high school. And yet at age seven, um, which puts me about the second grade, I I just fell in love with science and um, that passion, that desire to be a scientist just completely captured me. And it, uh, really got me out of the vadio into UCLA, uh, where I got my bachelor's in uh, physics and math, and then on to Cornell, where I trained in uh, physics, math, and astronomy, got my PhD there, and then went up to Cambridge uh, to teach uh, at Harvard, where I taught physics for about nine years. Um, And that really was the extent of my dream. I mean, had I just, had my, had my life just landed there, had, had landed at Harvard, um, that that would have been a complete fulfillment of my dream, Lee. And yet that was really just the beginning of this crazy life that I've lived in. Now, in retrospect, as an adult, um, I, I'm beginning to put together the pieces. I, I think, uh, and I'm speculating, of course, um, but I really do believe that uh, the Lord placed this passion for science in my heart at such a young age yeah. because... He knew that we would be living in a in a scientifically intoxicated age, where people really saw science as the miracle worker and not uh, Jesus or not God or anything like that. And so I am perfectly positioned now to have a conversation like you and I are having, and have the credibility um, to speak as a scientist, uh, not just somebody who's you know um, blowing hot air. So I I'm really grateful uh, to God for the life that He has given me. It was not anything I sought out past Harvard <laughs> was not part of my vision or my dream for myself, but it has been, yeah. and it continues to be. I mean, I, I feel like the best is yet to come. And this book has just skyrocketed it to the top of Amazon bestseller, Amazon hot new release and a variety of categories, Christian apologetics, science and religion, co- uh, cosmology. And um, it's just been breathtaking. It's wonderful. That's great. It just came out um, what a couple of weeks ago or. Yeah. Just a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, Lee, even before it came out, uh, and my wife has been kind of monitoring it um, ever since we announced the book. And I think even like four or five weeks before it was actually released, the pre-orders just shot to the top. And it's been number one in, in some fashion or another for the last seven going on eight weeks. I, I've written a lot of books, but for some reason, and I think I know why, this book has resonated and is resonating with the public. And I don't care if you're a Christian or a non-Christian. If you're somebody who is just sincerely interested in understanding life, understanding why we are here, what's expected of us, what's this all about, um, then this is a book that's going to appeal to you. Um, It's got a lot of cutting-edge science. A lot of the stories, I salt it with a lot of the anecdotes from my career as a journalist, and uh, and uh, it, it's also very solidly biblically biblically based. So I think it's really I think it's hit the jackpot for that reason. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And I think for the time, you know, there's that such a time as this 
notion to it of, you know, we're in a, in a period of time right now where people are looking to science to answer some scary questions for them. You know, it's just, are we going to be able to get through this pandemic and should I take the vaccine or not? And all these things where everybody's kind of clued in to trust the science, follow the science. And, and here at the same time, we have, you know, what do I really believe about God and how do those two things marry up? And, and so having a Christian who's also a real scientist and, and he's not a, you know, he's not your, your country doctor. He's, he's a PhD scientist who's a physicist and a cosmologist and all these, these big, uh, big branches of science that question how we even got here. Uh, I think it's very timely, Michael, and you, and you wrote it very well. Um, Thank you. Thank it's you. got some, it's got some God um, connotation to it, 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 obviously, as I read it. So I, I'm, I'm really impressed. You know, one of the things the book um, does is to just chronicle my journey from atheism, from that little kid who just fell in love with science and had no room in his worldview for God or anything uh, related to God. It was just, I was just completely consumed, dominated by science. To um, that grad student at Cornell many years later, who began questioning uh, what science, what questions science could answer thoroughly, and and which ones they couldn't, it couldn't. And uh, one of the things that I discovered as a grad student was that the universe is mostly invisible. We now believe that about 95%. Imagine that. Yeah. Imagine that, Lee. 95% of what we call the observable universe, which is kind of a uh, a misnomer, really, yeah. because 95% of the observable universe is invisible. <laughs> and uh, Yeah, right? And, and we won't even talk about the unobservable universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, we believe it's locked up in the form of dark matter and dark energy. And those are names for things we just don't understand. They're placeholders. Uh, That's right. We may as well just call it, you know, matter X and energy X. We, we mm-hmm. absolutely have no, no idea what they are. That's right. So I, I, it, it threw me into a crisis because then I thought, well, wait a minute. I've been living by the motto, seeing is believing. I'm not going to believe something unless I can see it tested experimentally and so forth and so on. It's a very typical scientific motto and uh, very skeptical. And uh, I knew I had to ditch that because now science itself, my beloved science was demanding uh, that I believe in a universe that I mostly cannot see. (laughs) And so uh, the question then arose, and and, and again, this is just part of my intellectual journey. That didn't even, this, this, has nothing to do with religion, right? This is an intellectual crisis that I'm describing. And I and it began for me in about the second year of grad school. And so I knew I had to ditch seeing is believing, but then the question is, well, what then do I live by? What motto do I live by? And beyond that, I started asking myself the pointed question, how did this amazing, mostly invisible universe come to be? And then I discovered that it was designed for life. If you look at all the parameters, the relevant parameters of the universe, what we call the the natural constants of nature, or the natural constants, rather, um, they all line up uh, so that the universe is hospitable to life. And that that's either a gigantic coincidence, which it could be, right? It's it's infinite. The, the probability of that being the case is infinitely small. But as yeah. a scientist, I have to admit, yes, it could be. One giant giant coincidence, or it could be that we're we're just one universe in a multitude of universes, which right. is one of the theories out there. Or um, that that was done intentionally; that this universe is intentionally uh, created uh, for life, and that it's not a coincidence. Um, so uh, I then realized at that point that science wasn't able to answer those questions. Um, to my complete satisfaction. See, I've always been this kind of hard-headed skeptic. Ever since I was yeah. a little kid, I drove my teachers crazy with all the questions I asked. Yeah. I still drive people crazy with the questions I ask. Me you know, too. I yeah. you know, I people interview me, you know, um because you know, I have all these credentials and I supposedly have all these answers. And yes, I have I have some answers. Mostly I have a lot of information that yeah. I think would prove useful to people, right? But I, for every answer I can offer, um, there are like a million unanswered questions. And so I, um, I had a, I was really at a crossroad and I, I decided, well, okay, if science, my, the thing that has taken over my heart 
for the last 20 some years of my life, right? Because I was like 20, 22, 23, right? When I was thrust into this crisis, where do I turn for answers? And I remember Carl Sagan, who was a professor of mine at Cornell. um, I had taken classes in exobiology from him, which is the study of life outside the universe, outside the earth. And he, he often, when he was being interviewed, um, he would often talk about the Vedas. And I didn't know anything about that. But then I went to Olin Library, the graduate, graduate student library on campus. And I found out the Vedas are the sacred literature of the Hindu religion. Yeah. So I immediately, I was just, again, I just like to ask questions. I'm a very curious person. I knew, I knew nothing about Hinduism, nothing about the Vedas. So I started informing myself of them. I just immersed myself in Hinduism. And, uh, and then a friend of mine, as I recall, gave me a copy of the I Ching. So I started getting interested in Chinese mysticism and Confucianism and, and uh, Buddhism. And then uh, my thesis professor was Jewish. So I got interested in Judaism, even when started going to Shabbat services with him on Friday nights. And then uh, a guru was making the rounds of the ca- college campuses back then, uh, Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. Yeah. And uh, he, I, I was captivated with the whole idea of transcendental meditation because uh, the guru promised that if you became a real devotee of transcendental meditation, you could actually <laughs> levitate. So I thought, as a scientist, I thought that would be really cool uh, to to countermand gravity. You know, so I, I, was, I was still the nerd. And um, none of it panned out for me. None of it answered my questions. And then on a dare from a beautiful co-ed, um, I <laughs> read the Bible with her. And I tell that whole story in the book. We don't need yeah, to get into it here wonderful. unless you want to. But it's a, it's, it's, Lee, look, I mean, I'm explaining to you what happened to me over the course of decades. Yep. I'm condensing it down to a few minutes. And even as I'm recounting it uh, for you and, and your listener and your viewer, um, it's hard for me to really believe. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. I couldn't right. write this script. And it, it's got the hand of God all over it. But it this does. beautiful sorority girl comes into my life out of nowhere. <laughs> and you were like a nerd uh, monk. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm seriously, yeah. in fact, um, I, was on a, uh, uh, I was on a show recently and they were asking for pictures of me when I was in college. And so my wife was digging through, you know, the archives and she dug up some pictures. And I mean, if you could see me then, it was, it was like... <laughs> You know, big hair, just yep. brooding countenance and <laughs> hardly dressed. And I mean, hardly groomed myself. I begrudged eating. I slept three hours a day. I mean, I was a dyed in the wool scientific monk, but yet this yep. beautiful sorority girl from Kappa Kappa Gamma comes like out of nowhere. And I do believe God sent her into my life. He did. Uh, she was a lapsed Catholic and her and her parents got divorced. And so when they did, her mom got into all this new age stuff, you know, crystal gazing and all that kind of thing. And Laurel just went kind of went along with it because she was a teenager and yeah. she was fascinated by it. So um, when she came into my life about the second or third year of grad school, um, she was an undergrad. So I, you know, I robbed the cradle when I, when I married her. Uh, yeah. But uh, she said to me, you know, look, you, you're like out there searching for answers. And uh, she said, I've never read the Bible. You've never read the Bible. If you read it, I'll read it with you. And yeah, I mean, I was a nerd, Lee, but I wasn't stupid. And I thought, wow, that would be a nice hey. way to spend a little more time with this really pretty girl because I felt I hit the jackpot. And I had, yep. and by the way, I'd never had a girlfriend. I mean, I had no social life. I spent seven days a week. 20, 21 hours a day, literally, either in my basement lab, so I didn't know if it was day or night, or in a classroom. So this was this was a whole new experience for me to have a, a young woman in my life. To, to we, you know, we became girlfriend and boyfriend eventually, and uh, she's so smart. And as we were reading the Bible together, it took us two years because <laughs> we were questioning everything. Again, I'm just a, a person who asks questions and demands answers. Yeah. But it was a game changer for me when I started reading the New Testament. So all of that is part of the reason why I wrote the book. And that's that's one part of the book. So if if you get nothing else from reading, believing is seeing, you'll at least get to see how someone like me, who has a passion for science, went from atheism 
to Christianity. And it was, uh, we, we've only just, you know, hit the highlights, but it's been quite a journey. It's an amazing journey. You know, I had a guest on the show, two guests not long ago that are also from Tyndale that have written a book called Designed to Heal. Um, and it's two doctors. And, and basically their, their whole thing is about how the, the study of the human body shows us that it's not an accident that we have all these processes built into us to heal our wounds when, when we're injured, right? Uh, and as we were talking about their book, um, Jenny uh, McLaurin, who's a, p- a pediatrician, said, um, I asked her about how the book was doing and how, you know, how it's spreading around. And she said, well, I just said, decided I was going to let God take care. I was going to take care of the depth and let God take care of the breadth of how far this book went. And I just want to share that with you. Like your, your book is getting broader because you, you took care of the depth. I mean, you, you really did. And I, I want to encourage you listeners. Oh, that's fantastic, Lee. And thank you to Tyndale. I've loved working with Tyndale. I've worked with all the major publishers over the years. But Tyndale, are, they're really a classy group of folks. Uh, Jen Long-Harris and, and her team have just really impressed me. I, I just want to come back to what you were saying about wounds and, and the body's ability to, uh, to heal. And, of course, I know you're talking not just about physical wounds, but yeah. emotional wounds and uh, psychic wounds. And I know in the book I tell the story of how when Laura, when I finally got around to popping the question, yeah. Um, it was, it took me a long time. Anyway, uh, it's all spelled out in the book and, uh, uh, we were looking forward to having a big family, you know, being, I'm, I'm five eighths Mexican, two eighths Spanish Cuban and one eighth Austrian. So I'm Hispanic primarily and, yeah. um, really looking forward to having a large family and Laurel was too. And, um, you know, my, my mom came from a family of eight brothers and sisters yeah, and at Christmas time it was just so wonderful, and I always carried that kind of illusion in my mind that when Laurel and I got married, we were going to have our own big brood, and yeah. we, you know, it, we just, I just, I could just picture it, and and it was just the 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 image of it just brought me enormous joy. So uh, when it became apparent to us that we we were, we were having trouble uh, conceiving, um, it was devastating. It was devastating to us individually and as a couple. And being that I was at ABC News, I had the opportunity to see the best doctors in the world. Um, I remember uh, uh, Dr. Zev Rosenwax over at Cornell Weill Medical Center in New York City. He had been making headlines around that time because he helped Celine Dion, the singer, uh, become pregnant uh, with his fertility treatments. So I remember I was doing something for CNN at the time. I can't remember exactly, but it was with Connie Chung. And uh, we had Zeb on as a guest. And I remember buttonholing him afterwards behind the scenes. And I said, I explained my situation to him. Zeb, I said, you know, we've, we've seen the best doctors in Boston because I was also t- teaching at Harvard at the time. I said, nothing, we, nothing's working. We've, we both check out medically. We, we come under this category of unexplained infertility. I think it's yeah. about 25% of the couples. You'd probably know Lee better than I, but I think it's, as I recall, the doctor told us that about 25% of the couples that aren't able to conceive fall into this. They just can't find it. They can't put in their finger on anything wrong with either Laurel or me. Yeah. So that made it all the more frustrating because I'm a scientist. So if I can identify a problem, I can go about finding a solution. But when you can't even identify the problem, you know, or define the problem, that's tr- tricky. So Zev said to me, he said, look, call up the office. He says, I've got like a, a waiting list that about a year out. He said, but mm-hmm. call my secretary. I'll let her know. We'll put you right to the top of the line. And, uh, which in a way kind of makes me feel guilty because all those other couples, you know, but, um, it was a blessing and I, I appreciated his, uh, deference. And I re- I'll never forget Laurel and I uh, went to New York city. It was right around Thanksgiving. And I remember we, we went into his office, um, uh, and, uh, afterwards we had a little time to kill. So we went and watched the Macy's day parade it was yeah. Thanksgiving Day. That's how desperate we were to get help. We didn't care that we would be spending Thanksgiving away from home, that we would be in the middle of New York City. And uh, that led to nothing. Uh, I remember driving home so carefully. I, I leaned her back in the car. Uh, this is really hard for me to recall, but 
we, we were so hopeful that Zev would be able to help us. And so when we went through the whole operation of the, you know, the, the little embryos being implanted in her and uh, the blastocysts implanted in her womb and so forth. And I remember having to drive from New York city back to Massachusetts and I laid her down in pillows and, you know, just drove like 30, 40 miles an hour, just didn't want to upset anything. And, uh, you know, 10 days later, she took a pregnancy test and it was negative. It was just heartbreaking. And yet, uh, and I, I tell this story in the book, and yet God healed us in the most miraculous way uh, with a beautiful little boy. And uh, we adopted him and we've never looked back. And every time I look into his eyes, he's 22 now and just a beautiful young man and uh, college, going to college and uh I look into his eyes and I hug him and I just feel God's love. And that kind of healing is not anything that can happen just by itself. It was if you read the story in the book, we can't again do it justice here. But if you read the story of how that little boy happened to us, um, I, I, it was, it was the hand of God. I'm so grateful to him for it, for that healing. It was. And a big part of it was sort of heart surgery, to get you ready to let God give you a child that wasn't your biological child. Like you didn't even think about it. I mean, you. Yeah. I, for, and part of the story was, you know, I'm the last Gillen in my family and uh, the, the last male Gillen, I should say. And so I felt enormous pressure to keep the name going. Now I know that sounds silly and superficial, but no, it, it mattered to me, you know, and again, being Hispanic, it was just really important. Uh, and uh, anyway, um, so th- so that when this whole adoption thing came up, and it was just so supernatural the way it happened, and and how it played out was just un- unbelievable. Again, you can't write a script like that. Nope. Um, God opened our hearts, both Laurel's and mine, to not only this little boy but to all the social workers and all the other couples who were looking to have children. Um, It it just, you know, the old, uh, what is it? The Grinch who stole Christmas. Yeah. I think there's a line, there's a line in it at towards the end. And I'm not going to do it just, but uh, uh, Dr. Seuss says something like, and his heart grew two sizes or something about his heart growing two sizes that day or something. (laughs) And I, I always think of that. Because that's what God did in the in the process of healing our woundedness, our, and it was a woundedness that almost tore us apart. And I think that had we not already at that point in our young lives been uh, ha- have embarked on the Christian journey, we were embarking together. We I wouldn't say we were uh, fully Christians at that point, but we were on that Christian journey, and we were yep. praying, praying so hard every single day that had it not been for that. For God's love and and faithfulness, I think we would have we would have been torn apart because mm. it was it was bleak, Lee. It was so dark getting up in the morning, and you know I had everything. I I was making a good good money at ABC News. I had a lot of fame and fortune. I, you know, five star hotels, limousines, yeah. first class travel. But I would and big house, you know, huge house on thirty acres, just like. You would think I was living like a storybook existence. And yet during those days, I would wake up in the morning. I'd feel so barren. Yeah, My whole life would mean seem, seem so dark and meaningless and cold. And I thought, gee, you know, I'm never going to be able to be a father. And uh, the name's going to stop with me. And all that stuff was just playing in my head. And, uh, and it was during during that whole crisis. Again, I describe it in the book where... Not I went from just believing in God, believing uh, that Jesus is the Son of God, to actually dropping the other shoe and outright surrendering. And in the book, I explain the huge difference there is between just believing <laughs> and surrendering. Right. Well, it was during that crisis, it broke me, Lee. It broke me. But it broke me and then pieced me together into a whole new man. And I was better for it. Mm. And And... That that it just takes my breath away how that happens because if you don't allow God into your life, you will be broken 
And you'll be like Humpty Dumpty. Nobody will be able to put you back together again. That's right. But when you allow God into your life, he, he can pick up those pieces, the pieces of your pain and woundedness and hopelessness, ah, and put you back together into somebody you won't even recognize. It's preach, beautiful. I'll preach all day long, brother. That's beautiful. I'm going to share something with you. We haven't talked about this. I don't think I've said it out loud to anybody, but... Um, Lisa and I have a have a blended family. So she had two children, and I had three children. We married, and and both had kind of some brokenness in our past. And 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 we our families blended beautifully. And 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 her kids are my kids, and my kids are her kids. And and they, they don't they've never called each other step anything. It's just been a family. And God did that. But when my son Mitchell died in 2013, he was the end of my last name, just like you just expressed, and. It was it was something that was psychically wounding to 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 feel like your family name is going to die out. And then our our daughter Kimber had our grandson Jason. They, his middle name is Warren. They gave him my last name as a middle name. And but but that that feeling of of your your people ending with you is that's real. And I think there's some people who are hearing this today that that are going to be blessed by you sharing that because God healed that that place in you, and, and it's beautiful that story you told. It's just it's just beautiful. So thank you. Thank you for thank you for validating that feeling because sometimes I felt well, oh, that's a pretty shallow thing to think, you know. But you know, I look back in my my heritage, my father and my grandfather, and all they've achieved and all they went through. They were simple people. My grandfather never went past the third grade, and um, my my dad worked his way up from nothing uh, to become a, an attorney. And I was so proud of my dad. I am proud of my dad. Yeah. Uh, he's with the Lord now. And then to just think that I'd come along and drop the ball somehow—that uh, that that legacy was going to die with me. Mm-hmm. But you know what, Lee? What I just—geez, I just discovered so much in this journey. Um, and one of the things I discovered is just how overrated genes are. They, yeah. And I, I think you That's kind right. of alluded to it right now. You know, I remember uh, in preparation for adoption um, in Massachusetts, Laurel and I had to attend four-hour classes every, every Monday night uh, for I don't know how many weeks. And it was pretty grueling. It was interesting. Um, and you got to meet a lot of really interesting people, other, uh, uh, you know, uh, other couples uh, who were looking to adopt and uh, so forth. And every, every Monday night, they would have at least one featured speaker. And I remember, uh, and I don't, I think I tell this story in the book uh, at greater length, but I remember this one gentleman, one Monday night, he was there and he had like, eight kids and talk about a blended family. Uh, some of them were his biological children and some of them were adopted children. And I just listened to him. Uh, and afterwards the break, when, you know, we broke for uh, coffee and cookies, um, I went up to him and I said, be honest with me. I said, um, do you love your biological children more than your adopted children? And, and I, I really emphasize that, please be honest with me. Don't, don't blow sunshine. I need to know because this is really scary what Laurel and I are going through right now. And um, he didn't even blink an eye, Lee. <laughs> I'll never forget. And now you know it's true. Yeah. He said, no, there's no difference. He That's said, right. in fact, I'm going to let you in on something. I said, my favorite kid his little Frankie, I adopted him. And, and then he went on. And I, as again, I tell the whole story in the book. But, oh, Lee, I mean, you know, think about what we're saying. I mean, I wouldn't wish that kind of pain and woundedness on anybody. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, I cherish it. it, it if it hadn't been for that season in our lives, we wouldn't be the people we are today. And we are better off because we went through that trial and tribulation and allowed God to help to to heal us. And I, I, I can't imagine not having to go through and not imagining that I have my boy who I love so much. And I, and I, and there, there's hardly a day that, you know, he's, he's, he's in Denver now we're in Texas, but you know, he's going to college and he's got a girlfriend and ah, I'm so proud of that boy. And, 
I, there's hardly a day that I don't at least text him and say, I love you because yeah. I want him to know how much I just thoroughly love him. And I tell him, you are the best son any father could ever hope for. And I mean that, Lee. I mean it sincerely. I can't imagine a father hoping to have a better son than mine. And it's all because of God's healing mercies. Praise it's all God. him. Praise God. I'm, I'm going to segue. I think, I think what we're about to get into is going to validate what you just said. But I, I, I think the story of you being, so you were raised really by Christians, Pentecostals, yeah. right? And, but you yeah. had this doubt and you had this um, skepticism that turned into atheism as you became more, um, pursued your scientific brain that God gave you more and you and you ended up in some amazing places with world famous scientists like Carl Sagan and all that and and understood the big mysteries of the of the world and and all those things and then God broke you in, in a particular way and your scientific brain was able to see he came to you and allowed you to see him in the big things of the universe in ways that explained what you found out from science Mm-hmm. that explained God to you. And he yeah. did the same thing for me, almost in reverse. In, in neuroscience, the, the, the questions get smaller. We, we look deeper into littler things and smaller things and we keep going. And a lot of people have asked me, why do you believe in God if you're a brain surgeon? You know, how can you be so silly, to, right? And I say, well, every time we develop a better imaging study, we see more organization and more detail and the questions get bigger. Like we, we, we never get down to where we go. Oh, that's how I nerve. Oh, I now understand everything. Everything we can see deeper. It's like, there's 25 more levels of organization down there. Like somebody's doing that. Like somebody's putting that stuff together. Right. So for me, so I was raised a Christian, but I I was kind of a, uh, I was saved, but I wasn't, 100% 100% convinced because I was a, I was dealing with neuroscience and you know dealing with these big questions and I believed but I didn't believe at the same time and then and when I lost my son I really needed to believe that I was going to get to see him again and I really had to figure out how it could be true that Jesus said in this world you're going to have trouble but that he came here to give us abundant life. Like I needed to figure out how both of those things could be true at the same time and and the Holy Spirit said to me same way quantum physics works, Lee. An electron can be in two places at the same time. Like it can be true that life can be hard and life can be beautiful. And it can be true that your son is dead, but he's alive. And it is true. And so I saw in your story, a lot of parallels to mine. And just for a second, like give us a glimpse into this big brain of yours that God gave you and how you needed some way just answer all those questions you couldn't answer in science and somehow God answered all of them in a way that was valid for you. Like just talk about SQ, IQ, all that stuff. You, you covered that ground. It's so perfect. Well, thank you, Lee. And uh, I, I will just uh, clarify one thing. And that is, yes, I, I was raised by uh, parents who were Spanish speaking Pentecostals, but, and they, and we would go to church, you know, like, seven days a week or something like that, they would take us. (laughs) And, and, you know, the sermons would go on and on, but here's the thing. It never meant anything to me. Why? Number one, the services were held in Spanish and I didn't speak Spanish. You know, I was, I I was already anglicized by then. You know, my dad spoke Spanish and my mom spoke Spanish and my grandparents spoke Spanish. I didn't, I was, that was that new generation, right? Right. That, didn't want to have anything to do with. In fact, I was embarrassed by that. And I remember this, and this is just a digression, but it'll show you what I'm trying to tell you. Uh, My best friend was visiting um, at our house. And I think we were in our bed, my bedroom and we were just playing a game or, or something listening to the radio. And all of a sudden I hear a knock on the front door and it's my grandmother. uh, And she was loud. Um, She was Cuban and she was loud and she spoke Spanish loudly. <laughs> and as soon as I got wind of that, I, and I, I'm, ash- I'm just ashamed to recount, I don't think I've ever told this story before, but here you go. Here we go. Um, I, I did not want my friend to hear that. 
I didn't want him, you know, because there was some discrimination against Mexicans and stuff uh, growing up in L.A. But more than that, I was just ashamed of it. And so I actually made him get out of my bedroom through the window. I opened the window and I made him crawl out. Both of us just crawled out. I just wanted to get away from that house as quickly as I could. And so, yeah, we would go to church, but I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't care to know what was going on. And the only thing I really cared about was the food they served at the services or between services. <laughs> it was yeah. usually Mexican food, which I still love to this day, and pan dulce, which is the sweet bread, and which I love so much. And also, I got to play the drums. Uh, they would take us kids uh, after Sunday school up into the main sanctuary, and the kid who was first in line got went to the drums and got to play them. So I always... I always muscled my way to the front of the line, but truthfully, that's all that meant to me. I mean, I didn't know nothing. I hadn't read the Bible or anything. So it, I, it wasn't even that I was skeptical. I was just clueless. All I cared yeah. about was science. And so, um, but anyway, uh, yes. When I uh, took Laurel up on that challenge in about second or third year of my grad studies um, to read the Bible, I did it, you know, grudgingly, because I told her at one point, I said, you know, I really don't want to read the Bible because people who read the Bible hate science. At least that's my impression, right or wrong. That was my impression. Um, and what, so why, why would I want to read this book that, that people who love hate science? It's my number one right. love in life. So, but anyway, because I wanted to spend time with this pretty girl, I did it. So I think that was part of God's plan too. You know, it's <laughs> like, but, uh, but anyway, what struck me, is we went through the Old Testament. It was interesting enough. I wasn't particularly impressed. And frankly, if it had been only the Old Testament, I would probably still be an atheist. Yeah. Because there was nothing in there that struck me as particularly earth shattering. It was all very logical. You know, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You wrong me, I wrong you. Right. You know, you screw up and I'm going to punish you. And, you know, it was just this kind of back and forth between us and God, you know. He would offer us a second chance. We'd blow it. And he offers us a third and he'd punish us. And then he'd offer right. us and then we'd blow it. And, and there's like no happy ending. By the time you get to Ma at the end of Malachi, it's like, this is like the most depressing story in the world. Why in the world would I, what I want to, to base my life on the old Testament. It just doesn't make any sense. Right. But when we started reading the new Testament within weeks, it was like, Wow, it was like a thunderbolt. Why? Because of Jesus, this character Jesus, who yeah. is clearly the central figure of the New Testament. And he just like comes out of nowhere and he's he just lights up the Bible. I mean, like there's a darkness in the Old Testament and then Jesus comes into the world and there's just like light and hope and love and forgiveness. It's a whole different theme, a whole different narrative. That's right. And in particular, the way Jesus spoke um, struck me, uh, when he said things like, you know, the first shall be last, or you should love your enemies and not just your friends, or you need to die in order to live all these things, which on the surface make no sense. They're illogical. And you, and you want to say, well, what is this man talking about? This is just gibberish. Yeah. And a lot of people, in fact, do dismiss Jesus in the new Testament because they don't think beyond that. I had the advantage because I had been learning quantum mechanics now for some years. Yeah. And I immediately recognized in the way Jesus was speaking, the, uh, the truths that I had been learning logical, yeah. in quantum mechanics. He was speaking quantum mechanics. He was yep. speaking the language of quantum mechanics. I'm thinking, what are the odds of this? A book that was written, you know, thousands of years ago, or, you know, at least a couple thousand years ago, right? A book that was written a couple thousand years ago, we're, we're focusing on the New Testament, and it is like jibing so astonishingly with quantum mechanics, which only dates back to the 1920s, the 20th century. Yeah. So that got my attention. It didn't make me fall to my knees, but, um, but it did uh, capture my attention. Why? Because in particular in quantum mechanics, one of the things we learn is that there are two varieties of truths. Now, I, I have, the way I explain it is not, uh, is different than where uh, anything I've ever read before, but in thinking yeah. about it and in living with it and digesting it and so forth, I explain it in the book in a way that I don't think has ever been explained before. But in that. a nutshell, it's this, it's what I call, and it's a term that I coined. I, I call quantum mechanical reasoning, translogical thinking. 
Um, by that, I mean this, that we have discovered in science that there are really two categories of truths. There are what I call trivial truths, and I don't say yeah. that to diminish them. They're, they're, they can be important truths, but you'll see in a minute why I call them trivial truths. They're just kind of trivial, common, ordinary truths. And these are truths that can be proved logically, yeah. just using simple Aristotelian logic. Um, and they are identifiable as trivial truths because their opposites are false. So if you say, you know, black is black, well, that's a truth, right? It's a trivial truth. Why? Because the opposite of that, black is white, is false. So that, that's just one simple example. I give, I give others in the book. Yeah. But then there is this other category of truths that I call profound truths or translogical truths. And they seem to defy simple logic. They seem to sound like nonsense, like I was speaking about a moment ago, Jesus. the way Jesus speaks. He speaks in a way that seems like nonsense, that, that's not logical. And yet, it is not nonsense. It's not logical, correct, yes, but it's not nonsense either. It's what we call profound translogical truths. These are truths that are identifiable as being profound or translogical because their opposites are also true. Yeah. So one example I give, for, and one that came to my mind immediately when I was reading Jesus, was our belief in the quantum vacuum, where we believe the quantum vacuum, which we believe gave rise to the universe, and that's the, the going scientific theory anyway, believe it or not, that's the way, that's science's theory. But the quantum vacuum, by definition, is nothing. It's empty space-time. And yet it's everything. It can give rise to an entire universe. Now, you might say, whoa, wait a minute, Gillen. What are you talking? That is, that is not logical. How can something be nothing and everything, right? Yeah. But if you read, if you study quantum mechanics as I have, you, you, there's, there's a way to understand that it is, in fact, a profound truth. Um, and so that uh, struck me right away, Lee, as being completely different than any other religion. I, Hinduism doesn't have this. Buddhism doesn't. Judaism doesn't have this. As I said, the Old Testament is very logical. It's the New Testament. The New Testament is unique in that the language Jesus speaks is the language of modern science. That's right. And so that drew me into then a world of discovery. I mean, that just, that was like just the thread. And when I, and when I followed that thread, it just opened up a whole new world of truths and of explanations for, for so many of the questions that I was asking and that nobody and nothing was able to answer. But here were the answers. And since that time, decades later now, as I'm speaking to you, um, it's still the case that the New Testament holds up to scrutiny, to scientific scrutiny. There is not. <laughs> I had one kid, I was speaking on the East Coast at a college, major college, and he comes up to me, he says, Dr. Gillen, do you believe in the whole Bible? And, uh, you know, he was incredulous. He couldn't believe that a scientist yeah. like me could possibly believe in the, uh, in the Bible and Jesus, especially the incarnation of God. It just seems so incredible to people. Um, and I said, well, uh, I said, yes. And let me put it to you like this. I said, there is nothing I have ever read in the Bible that um, goes against anything I've ever learned in science. And I'll go even one step further. There's nothing on the horizon of science that even remotely threatens the truth of the New Testament. If anything, right. <laughs> and this is like, this is like the, the cherry on the Sunday. If anything, science is becoming more supernatural-like. So it's actually becoming more and more uh, in line. It's, it's coming to be more and more in line with the Bible, not less and less and less. And I give examples of that in the book. It's actually quite astonishing. It didn't have to turn mm -hmm. out this way. It could have been, Lee, that at, the more we learned scientifically, the more we departed from the worldview uh, spelled out in the Bible. That's right. But just the opposite is happening. They're actually, the two worldviews are converging. It's, it's a, astonishing. I just wish more people would take the time to realize that. That's why I wrote the book. It's kind of by reading this book, I kind of catch you up on what's going on. You don't have to do the decades of research that, right. that, that I've had to do to get to this point. I digest it into, into just a single book. You just, you just exactly 
got us to the place that was the reason I reached out through Isabella, your publicist, and asked you to be here today. And that reason is this. This podcast is heard in 75 countries or so. Um, and by the way, you've got a really nice podcast too. So we need to put a plug in there for that. I'll put your links in there. Um, but but this podcast is heard largely by people who are trying to figure out how they can find hope again and find faith again and believe again when life has given them the hardest thing that they can have. It's it's listened to by people, bereaved parents and infertile couples and people who have been through devastating things. And, and that's just somehow what my books turn out to be about pain and loss and hope and faith and all that. And I asked you here today to say this, people need to know that it's real. People need to know that a smart person can believe in God and that there's some substance and evidence for that. And I just, I just want you to minister to those folks that that person for just a second and tell us how a smart person can actually believe that there is God. Use some of your language that you used in the book and, and, Tell us that it's not true what we've heard that science invalidates faith. I'd be happy to, Lee. And uh, I'll just simply say this. Um, when I was an atheist, I um, I shared in the conceit that um, faith was somehow a weakness of the mind, that, yeah. that people who expressed a faith in God, um, there was something wrong with them. They they were people who maybe couldn't cope with the reality of their lives. And so they invented in their minds this kind of teddy bear God or this uh, kind of uh, deity that would just, uh, you know, hug them in their times of need. And really, it was all just a delusion. Um, I I believe that. I I believe that for many, many years. Um, but then as I began to uh, really take seriously the Christian worldview after having taken uh, equal seriously, equally seriously Hinduism and Buddhism and all the major religions, but as I was exploring Christianity, asking the tough questions, believe me, I ask tough questions. And whoever's listening or watching, I guarantee you, you are not asking questions right now that I haven't asked. Yeah. Okay. I am a very thick-headed intellectual. That's why I didn't drop to my knees, even when the New Testament kind of whacked me between the eyes. I, I remained skeptical and I, I maintained my atheism through that. I had so many questions and I needed honest answers. And I still am, by the way. If yeah. um I I, I I haven't stopped, I haven't become complacent. I'm not on your show right now just telling you about something that happened to me. It right. is going on still. That, that, that spirit of exploration and skepticism is still going on. So when I began exploring Christian, the Christian worldview, and, and more than that, I started exploring the science, our science, and not just physics, math, and astronomy, but all of science, and in light of these new revelations that I was experiencing, I discovered something uh, that just was so stunning to me, yeah. and that is that uh, faith is actually the foundation, now listen to me, of the entire human experience. Yeah. It's the foundation of both religion, yes, but also of science. And I have a, a chapter in the book, having faith in having faith in mathematics, having faith in astronomy, having faith in the scientific method where I spell out what I'm explaining to you right now, that in every one of those disciplines, which are perceived to be such hardcore disciplines, you know, that they're based on logic and evidence and you hear evidence-based thinking, critical thinking. You hear a lot, you hear these phrases a lot these days, follow the science, trust the science. Okay. Well, science, I hate to break it to you is founded on faith. And I explained it in the book. Okay. So as, as I began to realize this profound thing, I realized, wait a minute, the, the, the notion that somehow faith is a weakness is, is a fraud. It's actually not true. Right. And in fact, when you look carefully at it, as I, I did, even right down to its biochemical roots in the human brain, which is in your bailiwick, Yep. I discovered that faith, and I don't. Use, I'm not speaking now poetically or metaphorically or anything like that. But I am saying to you, as a theoretical physicist, I'm telling you that what I discovered is that faith 
is the mightiest power in the universe. Again, it's not metaphorical. It's not poetic. It's true. And I explain it in the book. And so I now understand that that conceit that I carried around with me and that I uh, pursued for so long is just, uh, it's just wrong. So we are all people of faith. Uh, We are all persons of faith. The only question is, is your faith misguided or is it enlightened? And I explain what I mean by that in the book. Is it, is, is the, are the things that you have faith in, are your axiomatic beliefs, the foundation of your worldview, are they in line or out of step with the truths that we've discovered about the universe? If they are in line with them, then it is enlightened faith. It's faith that you can bank your life on. Or it, but if it isn't, then you're in trouble. And I explain furthermore that each of us has a worldview. So whether right now everything is happy-go-lucky with you, or, or if someone who's listening to me right now, to the sound of my voice or watching me, maybe you're going through some really hard times. I call them titanic moments, and I explain that in the book. Maybe you are going through a terrible titanic moment, and it's just shaken you to the core. Your faith is shattered. You wonder, can you really believe that there is a God? And if there is, where is he? Why isn't he answering your prayers? Why isn't he presenting himself and healing you on the spot in a way you expect or want? Um, if you're one of those people, I'm, I'm telling you right now that your worldview is your most valuable possession. You may be somebody right now who is in terrible pain. Maybe you lost a loved one. Maybe your relationship has gone south. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you're just lost. You don't know who or what to believe in anymore because we're just drowning in a sea of misinformation, right? You may live in a 5,000 square foot house. You may drive a Maserati. You may wear designer clothing, but none of that matters. Your most valuable your most valuable possession right now is your worldview. That's and right. there are three things about your worldview that matter, three metrics that tell you everything about your worldview that you need to know. What's its foundation? Is it misguided faith or enlightened faith? What's its size? Do you only believe in physical reality or do you allow for the possibility that there are other realities? And number three, what's at the center of your worldview? Is it you mm-hmm. or something greater than you? Okay. And what I'm saying to you is enduring your titanic moment, the thing that is upsetting you right now, maybe devastating you right now, your worldview will either be your best friend or it'll be your worst enemy. That's right. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you. I was speaking at the University of Kentucky. Uh, this was just before COVID uh, hit. And we were in the Q&A session and a little gal in the theater on the left stood up. I thought she was going to ask a question, but she had a cell phone in her hand. And she said, Dr. Gillen, a lot of us are receiving a blast text right now that a student has just committed suicide in one of the dorms. Mm. Well, you can imagine, I mean, the whole theater just, and it was a packed theater, it just fell silent. And we, we uttered a prayer for the student. None of us knew who it was, but we just felt it was the right thing to do. And the following morning, I looked in the news, the local news there, and sure enough, uh, a student had committed suicide the mm. night before. Now, I don't know who that student was. I knew nothing about him, never got to meet him. But this much I can tell you, that in his hour of greatest need, in his titanic moment, his worldview failed him. His worldview ended up being his worst enemy. They call it suicide. I call it death by worldview because it was his worldview that killed him. Nobody nobody else pulled the trigger. It was his worldview that said to this young man, there is no hope for you. You're going through a crisis. You can't see your way out. You can't think your way out. You're a college student. You think you're smart. You have a pretty good IQ, but you can't figure it out. And his worldview killed him. And that's why I'm saying to you right now, those of you who are listening and watching me, if you're going through a crisis, look no further than your worldview. Who's at the center of that worldview? If it's just you, then you're stuck. Because if you can't figure a way out, there's no hope for you. But if at the center of your worldview is a God who is God of all possibilities, the God of love and of mercy, 
and of faithfulness. And those aren't just words for me. I've experienced his love. I've experienced his forgiveness. I have experienced his faithfulness. He has not let me and my wife down, not once, not once. Even in our darkest days, he has never failed us. If he is at the center of your worldview, there is hope and you will get through this. You just need to be patient and hang on to your faith because that is your most valuable possession. Amen. My goodness. Michael Gillen, what a beautiful book you've written. Um, I can't think of a better way to end this time together than with what you just shared with us. And uh, I'm so grateful that you took the time to be with us today, Michael. Um, Just really grateful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lee. And God bless each one of your listeners and your viewers. What an incredible conversation. I, I, I love talking to Michael. I'm actually going to be on his podcast next week. Um, just so excited to bring you his book. Please, 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 please read it and check out his podcast. I'll put the links in the show notes. He's got a great website. It's all about how science and faith interact. Listen, believing is seeing. You can you can believe with all your heart, and as you believe, you'll start seeing how God is really there. He's really who he says he is. Science supports it. All you have to do, my friend, is start today. Hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarnmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.